This is an ABC podcast. The best of Can You Be More Pacific? With Sarah and Dean on ABC Radio Australia. To everyone and welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? I'm Dean Hullitow and joining me again, as always, is Sarah Nangama. Bullet Dean and bullet to all of our listeners. It's fantastic to be able to, I guess, have a moment to reflect on the year that's gone by. New Year is approaching quite steadily, but uh, just enjoying life right now in the break. It is break time, but we have a look back at some of our best bits from the year, including a chat with Samu Karevi, head of the Commonwealth Games. We've got a You Can Ask That, where we look at should athletes talk about controversial issues. We listen back to Peter Pasal's interview with Sanders Tasaka about the PNG NRL bid. We have one of our interviews with Emily Latu and we revisit one of our chats about what athletes' careers would we choose if we weren't in our chosen professions. Talanoa time on Can You Be More Pacific? This week for Talanoa Time, we have the absolute privilege of being joined by Samu Karevi. He currently plays in the number 12 jersey for the Wallabies. He's also part of the Suntory Sun Goliath in the Japanese Top League. And today he joins us on Can You Be More Pacific? Samu, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much uh, for having me. Very honoured. Well, we know that you are an Australian-born Fijian. So for all of our listeners back home, could you please tell us where your village is? Uh, from Wunda, uh, uh, Beautiful. Samuel, I guess uh, for us to, to get a bit of an insight into your journey into rugby, can you tell us where it all started for you uh, in terms of your, your rugby career? Yeah, I think it just started from uh, being a young pup. Um, when I first moved over to, obviously in Fiji, you know, everyone's always playing rugby on the side of the road, but um, a lot of my family members are playing footy and when I came over to Australia, um, joined um, under sevens, I think under six, South um, rugby union team uh, back in the South side. And I think he just fell in love with the game then. And I was pretty blessed that it's, um, I guess, progressed to where I am now. And it wouldn't happen without the support of my family. So, um, yeah, very grateful and blessed. So, Summer, when you moved from Fiji, did you move straight into Brisbane? Uh, yeah, yeah. We... Um, we, we moved from Australia, uh, from Fiji to Solomon Islands, and oh, cool. um, the coup, yeah, coup happened in 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 Solomon Islands, so we had to gap out of there because my grandfather worked for the Commonwealth government at the time. So once we gapped from there because of the coup, um, there was a coup happening in Fiji as well. So the plane stopped in Australia, and um, yeah, we just started started life in Brisbane, and been in Brisbane ever since. And I know that you are proud of your Brisbane roots through and through, and I guess. Playing in that system throughout all of your juniors, how much did it mean to you when you made your first Queensland Red side? Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm pretty, um, like you said, proud of uh, our Brisbane Fiji community and and just from being from Queensland. So it was it was a massive privilege and, and honour for me to you know to actually put on the Queensland Red jersey and represent Queensland. Um, it's something I I, I dreamt about uh, when I was young. You know, watching um, that team in 2011 win and to play with the likes of Quaid and, and Wulgenia um, and, and, you know, guys like Benny Taps back then um, was, was awesome for me. And, um, yeah, just opened up the door for, for my footy career. So, I mean, you mentioned just then that the Fijian um, community in Queensland, and uh, I know I know that's something we've heard from, from guests before about just how strong that, that community is. Is it 
good for you to be someone that's moved over from Fiji at such a, at such a young age to be able to connect with Fijians in that local community must be uh, must be nice. Yeah, it was, I think it was really important um, as I came in as a young guy. But you know, the families around there, we weren't related to a lot of like you know, if you look at it, not really really related to a lot of people in um, Brisbane, especially the Fiji community where a lot of them are related together. But you know, I call I consider all of them aunties and uncles and, and cousins and um, you know, the support that they gave for, for my family when we first got in, um, through church, through community, um, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I play a big part of it uh, for, for me becoming successful just because of the support and prayers and, um, again, the support that, that I got from there. So, Samuel, I know that you are currently competing in the Japanese Top League and because we all love and follow you on Instagram, could you take us into the inner sanctum of that fold? What is it like to be a part of it? Because Japan is so rich in culture. Yeah, it is very rich in culture and we've been so blessed to, um, I've been so blessed to play in that community and be part of it for so long. Um, I just think they really, really, really love their rugby. That's the, the biggest part for them is they're really um, connected to, to their roots and to who they are as, as a culture. And, um, you know, without that, um, yeah, I wouldn't have fell in love with the game so much over there. So you've just come off the back of uh, a test series against England and uh, things are about to ramp up even further for the Wallabies. Can you tell us about uh, what you took out of that series and uh, how you felt or where you feel you guys are at at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think there's so much growth in the team and we've really set some foundations that we've wanted to and like we're obviously so disappointed and um, you know heartbroken about the result <clears throat> but how much the group has moved forward and growth in, in each player and, and as a group has been unbelievable so I'm really excited for these next two games for the boys in Argentina and I know they'll have a, have a, have a good crack and um, yeah I think we're building nicely uh, even though with the result that we didn't get in the in the in the July series. I think it's fair to say, particularly under David Rennie's leadership, the Wallabies have truly thrived. For yourself and from your personal experience, like you would have sat under multiple coaches, what is it like being coached by Dave Rennie? Oh, Dave has been amazing. Um, I just, culture, the culture that he brings within the team just matches us to well. And um, we've been blessed that we, we are pretty rich in culture. You know, we've got the Pacific Gardeners, we've got players, we've got Aussies, we've got um, Kiwis, we've got all different walks of life coming in, um, you know, European uh, staff and that, so the South African forwards coach, so we're really blessed in terms of the uh, the dynamic in the group and what everyone brings, and that into our group, and um, yeah, he's made that awesome for us to be feel real comfortable in our own skin, but then commit to something all together. Um, and that's something that Inner Sanctums uh, we're really blessed to be part of. I love hearing that because particularly as fans, we can see that the Wallabies, they, they walk different. The way that they're perceived by the public as well is changing. So it's great to hear firsthand that that really is the truth because it's, um, it's genuine and you guys have some strong foundations that you're building on. Turning our attention now to what you're currently up to, you were recently selected to represent Australia at the Commonwealth Games. You're becoming like you're a bit of a, the, the rugby extraordinaire. You're, you're making your place in the sevens game, making place in the 15s. Went to Tokyo, but now you've been selected um, to head over to the Com Games. Did you know that this was coming in? Like, also, how bloody exciting. Yeah, I wouldn't say extraordinary, but um, I've been blessed to be in the position where 
um, you know, they just need some players. Um, and now I just end up, I feel like I'm you know, nine years old, just put my hand up for every team that's available at the moment. Um, and yeah, I've just been been really blessed in that position. And um, yeah, I knew this was coming. I, I had um, I knew something back in the sevens. Um, I didn't know I was going to get selected into the Com Games team, but I wanted to put my hand up and be available for selection. And um, you know, I get blessed to be selected by these amazing guys that are already here. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I haven't, I haven't, I think it's hit me yet. I think it was similar to the Olympics where I didn't realize the importance of it until you're actually amongst it. I think I was so processed on um, getting the body right of, of learning the plays and that I didn't really realize where I was where I was heading. So pretty blessed to again to be here. But um yeah, it's just been getting a little crash course in, in sevens at the moment. So <laughs> um just trying to get all that sorted and then uh, once I get over that I think I'll I think I'll get really excited once we actually start playing some games. I think I try not to get too excited, just pretty focused on the on the process of um, getting fit at the moment and, and uh, ticking all the right boxes. Summer, you mentioned uh, about feeling like a young kid getting these opportunities to play at the elite level. Do you have any advice? We have a lot of listeners um, out in the islands that perhaps want to be the next summer career. Do you have any advice for young athletes coming through in any sport? Yeah, I think it's um, <clears throat> enjoying what you what you love doing. Um, if it's in in any any aspect of life, but you know, especially with sport, um, it can be it can be a gruesome world where um, you know success isn't success doesn't care how hard you work or um, sometimes you know how, how how much you put in. You you can do all the right things and still fall short in the end. You know, you can lift all the best weights, become the best player you can, and and in in a team environment, you can still fall short as a team. So, you've got to love the process of of the grind and um, the craft that you're working on and putting in it every day. Because if you, I feel like if you if you lose that love for the game, it's really hard to get out of bed uh, when results aren't going your way. So I think as a personally, I just try to focus on I'm pretty process driven and just work on the little things in in my life as much as rugby and and other parts of my life and. You know, I just leave it in God's hand that um, everything else will work out. You know, results-wise and that, I don't, I don't let that, I don't let the results define me. Um, I think my family and that know me well enough that um, I'm just putting in the best I can and trying to perform. Uh, you know, to, be, to try to be the best in the world. Well, that is such timely advice. Love the process and work on the little things other than footy. Well, Samu, it has been such a treat for us to catch up with you today. Something that we love to do with our guests before they leave is a quick 60-second game called Tip On. It's basically uh, rapid-fire questions. Would you be down to play? Yeah, let's go. Yes. All right. And the clock is on. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to lately? Uh, reading the Bible. Who was your most annoying teammate? <laughs> oh, no teammate. Uh, Len Ikito. Who was your sporting hero? Uh, Ma Nonu. What would be your wrestler entrance song? Uh, time to play the game. What was your favorite movie as a kid? Um, I'm Legend. A bit later, but yeah. Who in your team is always on their phone? Uh, Hunter and Lenny Kittel. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Mangoes. Favourite place you've travelled to? Uh, Fiji. Which teammate has the best fashion sense? 
Uh, quadruple. Do you have a hidden talent? Uh, voice, like TV voices. <laughs> it would play you in the movie of your life. Uh, Denzel Washington. Scale of one to ten, ten being the best. How good are you at keeping secrets? Oh, ten. Ah, he's a keeper. He's a safeguard. <laughs> if, if, don't say anything. If it's not for my for my life, then I just leave it into other people's hands. You know. Solid, I like that. Hums as. Who's your TV voices you do? Oh, no, I don't tell you because you might ask me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just tell it. No, we won't ask you nah, to do it. We might ask nah, you nah, to do just, it. Um, I like to do um, Bane and uh, like the Joker, you know. Oh, yeah, Batman. yeah, Batman. So, nice. That's probably like my next favorite movie. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just try to do like the, the bad guys. I love doing their voices. When, but I need like, um, it's better not over, phone, over the phone. It's not good. It's better um, real life, you know. Okay, well, that being said, next time you're in Sydney, we'll bring you into the studio. <laughs> you can be our third co host. Yeah, we can be the three of us can host the show together. Yeah, yeah, I'll be keen for that. I better do it over the, over the mic. I want to, you know, when you do it, you want to do it right, you know? Oh, well, call, we'll make sure call. that we uh, pull out the red carpet before you join us in studio. On that <laughs> note, ladies and gentlemen, we have Samu Karevi. Samu, we just want to wish you all the best with the upcoming Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. We'll be watching your journey closely also with the Wallabies and. Uh, yeah, we just can't wait to see what's to come for you because you're just scratching the surface. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Very uh, blessed to be on the show, and uh, God bless. Sarah and Dean with the best of Can You Be More Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. You can ask that, our favourite segment, because we to give our truthful opinion. Not that we that we withheld, withhold from doing it, but even more so. Hala, this week's question um, actually comes on the back of an article that was released. So first I'll say what the, the article is. Samu Karevi, a much-loved wallaby, he has come out and said that he was silenced from speaking out when the Israel Folau saga went down here in Australia a few years ago. So for a bit of context, and anyone that isn't aware of it, Israel Folau posted um, a graphic on social media that, I guess, details who is going to hell. And in it, it uh, created, uh, or you could say it highlighted people and different stereotypes. And uh, it really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And it was super, super controversial. And... Samu Karevi has just come out this week and said that him and a few other players were silenced by Rugby Australia from speaking out of their support for Israel Folau. So the question that I'm putting to you today and for us to both have a crack at is, what do you think about players speaking out about controversial issues? This is a big question, a tough question. It, obviously, the, the, the incident, you not the incident, but the issue that you're talking about was huge, made big headlines, Israel lost his contract or he got stood down at the time and then went through a whole uh, legal mess with Rugby Australia. It got resolved quietly off the side, but he, he no longer plays in, in professional rugby union. So it was um, it was big at the time. And I guess in terms of the question, players speaking out of controversial issues, I, I guess it depends on how how much knowledge they have on an issue or how passionate they are about an issue if it, if it lines up with their values. This is uh, a religious issue, so it, it, it definitely stirs a lot of conversation for a lot of people in different ways. Um, and I, the one thing that I've always thought about if you want to speak up about something, and it's great to have belief in something and, and support something and speak up about something, but if, if you don't have knowledge on, on an issue, uh, then it can be um, – you could be lining yourself up for some – 
uh, some flack if if you if you can't support what you're saying with evidence or or facts or, or at least a good argument, something strong argument. Sometimes I think athletes come out and will say things at a whim because it's the popular thing to say at the time or, or whatever. And and if it's not supported by some good knowledge on a topic, then you get found out eventually. I don't know. What do you think, Sarah? No, I think all of those things that you said are valid. I feel like athletes are a lot more comfortable to speak about speak out about things that they feel some way about. And I think we saw that um, earlier this year in the NRL with the Manly players refusing to wear um, the rainbow jersey. We saw in recent weeks Danell Wallum speaking out as well about the sponsorship stuff in the world of netball. And I know that, like, as an athlete, I certainly face things within my sport that I think are unfair and unjust and Often I don't speak out about it because one, I'm scared of losing my contract or, um, you know, being held accountable to it. But I also know that as an athlete, I'm given a platform that is not given to everyone else. So I've often feel challenged and I feel like our producer here, Nelly has, you know, often challenged me of like, how do you want to choose to use your voice when you have the power to influence people? And so I think it's this, this dance between being courageous enough to speak out, but then also like withholding in in certain ways so that you don't put yourself in the firing line. And often I feel like, oh, am I being a bit of a coward for like not speaking up or not having a say? But I think often the lack of knowledge to be able to back myself up in, in, you know, if questions come firing my way um, has often kept me bunkered down and being like, oh, just don't do anything or don't say anything. There's a reality, right, in what you were just saying there and that you you are contracted, uh, well, say in in Israel's, um, instance, he's contracted to Rugby Australia and they took issue with um, code of conduct with what he was saying. And it's the same for anyone else. I think that sort of pulls back or doesn't say things when they have a platform is that if they risk their contract, they're risking the reality of that's where their money comes from, which mm. supports your life. And and I, I know I've sort of crossed this bridge a lot here in, on the show as well with myself. I work at the NRL. So there's often things that the NRL do that a lot of people don't agree with and they will take issue with. Um, there can be controversy from that end. And, and I feel I sit on the fence a lot with things because that's what pays the food that goes on the table for my kids and the roof that goes over their head for my family. So you, you do hold back. But then when there's issues that you know that you can be passionate about and speak up about, then um, if you've got the platform to do it, you can have such an influence, like you say before. And I think players or athletes are starting to realise that more, that they can, as a collective, have weight in what they say and have a voice, and um, even individually. And, and I think we see it a lot more now where, where people are, athletes, I should say, are more willing to stand up and talk about issues that they feel strongly about. Beautifully said, Harlan. I think there's two things that come to mind just hearing you speak. And the first one is activism has many lanes. It doesn't look like going online and being super loud about it on socials. Sometimes it'd be about donating to that organization, but you know, your left hand doesn't need to know what your right hand's doing. And like, so the world out there doesn't always need to know about it. So that's one thing I will say about that is that, you know, regardless of what you believe or what you advocate for, there are many lanes that you can, uh, many ways, sorry, that you can show that support. And the second thing is people don't, yes, the the contract piece of trying to, you know, secure yourself and your finances is very important, particularly if sport is your mainstream of income, but then also the cancer, cancel culture 
that exists is so damn real <laughs> and you can go from being everyone's hero to nothing real quick. So, yeah. um, you know, that's also something that I feel, um, influences people's ability to, to stay quiet about some certain things. So on the note of Summer Karevi, cause that's kind of the question or the, the article that brought this all up. Do you think that that actually happened that Rugby Australia told him not to say anything? Well, I'm not too sure, but I look forward to seeing. ABC actually has put this documentary together on on Israel Folau, so I look forward to to watching that and seeing because it's a, a pretty big thing to come out now about that and 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 be gagged by the organisation just to show support. So, um, yeah, we'll wait and see. To answer my own question that I asked you, Summer Crev is actually a really close friend of mine, so I don't actually believe it's out of the realm of possibility that he was he or you know there was some conversation about you know, stay quiet about everything that you believe or your support. So again, I'm looking forward to this documentary that will be aired here on ABC. So I'm sure we will uh, have a debrief once we watch that documentary. We certainly will. Now, if you have a question, you can send it through to our DMs on Instagram uh, at Sarah Nangama and I'm at Dean Holotel. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia. Oh my God. Woo! You're with Sarah and Dean, talking all things sport across the Pacific. Don't go anywhere. We've still got a chat with Emily Latu from the NRL. And for You Can Ask That, our question is, what athlete's career would you choose? Radio Australia with the best of Can You Be More Pacific with Sarah and Dean. Time to change the pace as we head over to PNG for a report from Peter Pasal. Today I have a very special guest with me. He is PNG Rugby Football League Chairman, Mr. Sendis Saka, and he will tell us about the exciting news that Papua New Guinea will launch and a bid to join the National Rugby League in Australia. Uh, Sanders, please tell us about uh, the bid, the groundwork that went into it, and uh, what you hope to achieve. Uh, thank you, Peter, for uh, having me on the show. And uh, hello to all the listeners of ABC Radio. Yes, uh, uh, we're, we're excited by the announcement uh, on a new NRL bid for PNG. Uh, we've done a tremendous amount of work. It's taken us 16, 18 months to uh, reach this milestone to get, get the NRL bid launched. So uh, it's about, you know, bringing all our partners together, bringing the government on board, and bringing all our stakeholders in the game in PNG to unite behind a, a joint bid to a bid for the 18 team that's become, that the NRL is looking to bring in in the future. Some people will ask, uh, this is the culmination of 16, 17 months of, 18 months of uh, work. You've put the submission in. The government has signed off on it. Uh, what is so strong about this bid? You, you mentioned uh, that there's, you've ticked up some boxes. Yes. Uh, the good thing about this bid is we've, we, we've built this bid by learning from the experiences of the last uh, failed bid in 2009, 2010. So we put in uh, governance and management structures to uh, you know, put together a bid that can actually uh, meet the requirements that the NRL has uh, put out. We've learned from the lessons uh, of the recent success that Dolphins have had to become the 17th team, and we, uh, we've liaised very closely with the NRL and our partners in Sydney to learn what the requirements are uh, for the 18th team. So the way we've built, uh, work with the government and our partners to put together the framework around this bid and the value that the new NRL franchise based out of PNG can bring to the game 
uh, to the competition and the game in general, uh, we're, we're pretty confident that we'll get the nod. You know, we are aware that it's a competitive process. Teams around in Australia and New Zealand have also indicated interest, but given the value propositions that PNG you know, brings to the game, we're pretty confident that our bid will be a success. And uh, also the Australian government has been supportive uh, of, of sport in general in PNG Rugby League as a, as a development uh, tool to you know, uh, put messages out there and also um, unite the people. Yes, uh, the Australian government uh, through, through DFED and the federal government uh, have supported all sports in the Pacific, uh, you know, and rugby league in particular. Uh, the support to rugby league over the last seven, eight years has helped us, uh, part, you know, partner them in many programs. As part of putting the NRL bid together, also we work closely with them, uh, you know, to seek their views and support going forward. And we're looking forward to the continued support of the Australian government uh, with this bid. Obviously, the bid will allow us for, to strengthen. You know, our government-to-government and people-to-people relations uh, between the two countries. So uh, we're hoping for Australian federal support with the bid as well. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's uh, in, a, in, a, in the best-case scenario for Papua New Guinea, if we get accepted, if the bid is successful, just run us through uh, what's going to happen in the months following that announcement, uh, especially if we want to kick off uh, for the 2025 season. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of work between now and then, uh, you know, that, that announcement. As it is, uh, the announcement of uh, the launch of the NRL bid is about bringing together our partners and stakeholders and the government uh, to work towards that bid. Uh, there's a, there'll be a lot of work to, to actually uh, decide what the bid looks like, whether it's a standalone PNG bid, a joint venture, or, you know, or, you know whatever form the bid takes. But based on the outcome of that form, we are looking at, you know, submitting an NRL bid to the NRL in the next 12 to 16 months. And hopefully by the team, you know, once the NRL or ARC gives us the go-ahead, the work will begin on trying to put an NRL team together. And obviously that will de- depend largely on what structure the NRL bid uh, takes up. Uh, all right. And, uh, well, we all know that uh, running a professional sports Organization is not a cheap thing. Um, the, the Redcliffe Dolphins uh, had a, a massive um, asset base, and that was part of the reason why they were able to uh, get that uh, success in, the, in their bid to be the 17th team in the NRL. What's uh, what is uh, the PNG bid? What do we have? What do we have? Uh, yes, uh, you know, the the NRL has put out five you know minimum requirements. Uh, uh, for the NRL bid, and the key among them, you know, is financial capacity and commercial strategy. So that's the reason why putting together a, a team of credible people uh, from industry and government to work towards uh, setting up, uh, you know, the framework for an NRL team is important in that regard. You know, uh, we've also got to meet other requirements like football competitiveness and, and have the capacity to you know, in terms of infrastructure. Uh, with the work that the PNG RFL and the government have done in, in, in PNG over the last eight years, we feel that, you know, from a, from a football perspective, 
uh, the strength of our game has never been stronger on the domestic front. We, uh, the grassroots game, you know, has grown massively. We have our elite pathways program, uh, you know, uh, is working really well, uh, and it's showing through our national rugby league competition, the local comp, and is you know success the hunters have had over the last eight years. So on a football front, we're okay. We, we're also comfortable with you know the work the government has done in it to invest in a world-class facilities in the country, something we never had, you know, six, seven years ago. Uh, from, uh, you know, governance and management front, the PNG RFL and the game has grown massively in terms of, you know, its management and governance prudence. And, uh, our processes around financial management uh, have improved, you know, dramatically. For so from an organizational point of view and a football uh, point of view, we, we feel very confident uh, you know, we're ready going forward. So we, as part of the work the new NRL bid will be do- doing, is about developing that commercial strategy and developing, you know, a framework that can gi- meet the minimum requirements of the NRL so that uh, they can give us the approval uh, for that 18 bid. All right, final question, Sandis, and uh, this is just uh, your, your, from your perspective, you made the announcement. What has been the response to you and also the PNG RFL from the public and other, you know, noted people in the fraternity. Uh, we're really encouraged by this, you know, by the support uh, and, you know, overwhelming support we've received towards this bid uh, from, you know, both domestically and internationally. Uh, you know, people and organizations are throwing their weight around. They see the value in having a PNG bid, you know, in the NRL. And the people in PNG actually... Uh, have been longing for this, you know, with what the Hunters have done. It's going to bring the game to the next level. So the overwhelming support we've received uh, to this announcement from our partners, uh, both domestically and international, we're really encouraged uh, by that. Obviously, you know, uh, with elections going in Australia and PNG, there's a bit of noise around what's happening, but uh, we we remain focused uh, that, you know, even after the elections, uh, we'll be able to move forward uh, with the NRB. Sandy Saka, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Sarah Dean in the studio, it's back to you. It's good to hear what's happening over in Papua New Guinea as they look towards a bid to be the 18th team in the NRL. I think it's a, it's a long-term view, but uh, one that no doubt ex- the locals are excited about because they love their rugby league over there. PNG is absolutely mad about their league. So the fact that there could be an opportunity for players um, there to to compete in a national competition like the NRL is a huge, huge opportunity. So I'm sure we'll hear about it um, in the months to come, but all the best as they prepare. Good luck, PNG. This is ABC Radio Australia with Sarah and Dean. The best of Can You Be More Pacific? We're very lucky to be joined in Talanoa time by Emily Latu. She is the NRL Community Projects Manager. Uh, she's a good friend of mine. She does wonderful work uh, in the community and abroad. So it's great to have her on the show and talk about what she does. Emily, thanks for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific? Thank you so much for having me. Malolale, everyone. Emily, I'll, I'll get into it by asking if you can tell the audience, our listeners, about what you do at the NRL and what it is being an NRL Community Projects Manager. Yeah, cool. So my role is um, to manage all the NRL's major community projects. So this includes the NRL Road to Regions, NRL Community Awards, 
um, or the measurement and evaluation. So measuring the impact that we're making in the community um, and then all the community activations across all major themed rounds, major events, um, and then working with all our teams um, across Australia and the Pacific to make sure um, that we're using rugby league to make a difference um, in all the communities that rugby league exists. I'm at Emily. How did you get involved in this line of work? It's um, it sounds like you get through a lot of important work, but I'm, I'm intrigued to know how you, I guess, were attracted to it in the first place. Yeah, well, growing up, we've always been uh, a family really dedicated to sport. My dad migrated from Donga to play rugby union here. Um, and then growing up, um, my sisters and I, we all played um, netball, little A's, and then we played rugby league. Um, when the girls' competition first started um, in Sydney. So we played for the Parramatta Junior Eels. So we always loved rugby league. We've always been fans. But I always knew I wanted to work in sport. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. But then when I was in my first year of university, I was doing um, a Bachelor of Business and Commerce, majoring in sport management. And we had a guy come into our class from the Australian Sports Commission. And it was just there me and one of my other friends we asked him if he knew any contacts in rugby league that we could do volunteer work with and then um he introduced us to a lady called Maria Arthur and that's where my career kind of started um was when I did volunteer work with her and she offered me a casual position in the NRL game development um department and I guess it just started from there so that was in 2011 um and I haven't left since I love, love that. You talked a little bit about your dad migrating uh, to Australia. So could you tell our listeners where you are from? Yeah, both my parents are from Donga. Uh, my dad is originally from Vabao. That's where his family um, originates from. And my mom is from Ha'abai and um, Waini, uh, proud Tongans. Um, they both migrated here separately and then they met here and then got married and had us kids. So I have five sisters. Beautiful. Well, Emily, Emily, can you tell us about growing up in Sydney then um, and I guess your exposure to Dongan culture as you were growing up? Yeah, so we grew up, so born and raised in Auburn in Western Sydney, um, spent some time in Blacktown, but spent most of my life um, growing up in Parramatta. Um, I grew up in a Catholic church, uh, part of a Tongan Catholic community in Auburn called um, St. John's Catholic community, part of the Tongan community there. So it was really ingrained in our Tongan community. Um, but it wasn't until I was working in rugby league that I had my my passion and love for my culture really ignited. I think there was a bit of time where I, a um, bit of an identity crisis kind of merging both, you know, the, the Tongan culture to the Western culture and kind of trying to find my feet. I went to a primary school where I was the only um, only bus figure person in the whole school. Um, so that was kind of um, a little bit intimidating. So I think it was during that time I was trying to fit in and I really didn't um, connect to my culture as much as I do now. And I really credit that to working and playing rugby league um, and being really involved in the culture and really wanting to know more and do more and be part of the, not just the Tongan community, but the bus figure community, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's a story we've heard a lot from a number of our guests we've had on the show that that exposure to, to culture and to the, understand a little bit more about your own identity 
often comes through sport and rugby league's really good at doing that rugby union as well. So it's really good to hear that. I guess um, one thing that I know about you is that you, you do um, carry that, uh, that identity through a lot of the work you do. You mentioned that you do work in the community, but um, working with Pacific communities is something that uh, you're particularly good at and that you've done a lot of over the last few years. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess where we started a lot of our work with Pacifica communities is from the NRLs in League and Harmony program. So it's a social cohesion program that co- encourages young people to um, use rugby league as a con- tool of connection to better themselves, be better people, do better. And um, it talks about um, uh, anti-bullying um ways you can work better as a team, um, celebrating diversity, um, celebrating the similarities and differences that exist like it does on a rugby league field. It exists in the community and really celebrating that. And we worked with a lot of Pacifica communities in that program. But in 2016, um, with the Pacific Test, we introduced the Pacific Youth Summit. Um, and that's when we brought uh, up to 60 young people from across Western Sydney um, for our inaugural Pacific Test um, Youth Summit. So really encouraging our young people to connect to their culture through rugby league, uh, whether you're Tongan, Samoan, um, Fijian, um, Kiwi. It was using that platform of the Pacific Test to encourage our young people to really connect to their community through the greatest game of all, rugby league. For all of our listeners joining us, this is Emily Latu. She is the NRL Community Projects Manager. Emily, speaking to you and hearing about how you grew up in Western Sydney and all the work that you are doing in the community, how excited were you to see a Parramatta Eels women's side join the NRLW competition? Uh, it was awesome. I think I've never been more excited for the women's game. Um, I wish I had these opportunities when I was playing what, 10 or so years ago. For a comeback. Um, and it was, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can run for uh, 80 minutes anymore. <laughs> um, but it was so exciting. I, I still live in the Parramatta area and I'm a diehard para fan. But um, it was also exciting to see some of my friends um, move clubs to play for Parramatta. So Sumaima Dalfa, um, she's done amazing work in the community um, with us. And then Tiana Benitani as well. So it was awesome to see some of my, my Tongan friends kind of move over to Parramatta and rep the, the team that I um, I love. But just to see the women's game grow from four to six teams and now eight in 2022, it's really exciting. It's it's very exciting. We're actually members of the Paramount Eels, Sarah and our producer Nelly. We're all we made a pledge to join. We love Parramatta. Yeah, so we're we're Eels supporters, and uh, we'll be renewing our membership for the upcoming season as well. Another thing, Emily, the the Pacific Test matches that you mentioned that they're a real feature of um, the NRL calendar, the international calendar in rugby league, and uh, we're fortunate enough this year for them to be. Uh, being played again in uh, the second representative round. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking forward to with that and um, I guess some of the work you've done in the past around that? You mentioned the, the Youth Summit. Yeah, um, I'm really excited. So I think it, I'm pretty sure Donga is playing New Zealand in New Zealand. So that'll oh, yeah. be a really great spectacle. I'd love to go over for that one. But um, the the double header that will happen in Sydney and Campbelltown is really exciting. You'll see Samoa play... Um, the Cook Islands, and I think it's such a great platform for the Cook Islands to show what they've got. Um, and then you'll have Fiji and Papua New Guinea. So they're amazing players who are really connected to their culture that will be able to pull on their jersey um, for their international um, teams. So that's really exciting. I can't wait to see that happen and bring the culture and football to Campbelltown again. Um, we've had two years with no um, 
with no Pacific Youth Summit or Pacific Chair. So exciting to bring that back. Uh, we, unfortunately, we won't have Pacific Youth Summit um, come back this year. So hoping that is reignited next year. Um, but it will be exciting to see the the level of skill on the field, but also the cultural um, entertainment and passion off the field and all the halftime performances. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, me too. I've certainly been out at Campbelltown Stadium when we've hosted some Pacific Test matches and they are so fun to see the stadium packed out with such a mix of cultures and um, so many people just get out there to get around the boys. It's, it's such a special evening. Emily, you are doing such incredible and important work within the community and speaking to Hala off air as well, he speaks very highly of you. So I'm sure um, your name and the work that you're doing is just getting started. So really looking forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you. And I'm excited to see the, that we have speaker programs on radio and TV. So keep up the good work, T. Yeah, girl. Well, I'm not letting you go that easy. Something that we love to do with our guests is uh, play tip on. And basically it's a 60 second questionnaire. And I just want you to say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, wow. It's meant to be fun, lighthearted. <laughs> and one thing I encourage you to do is don't think too hard. Okay, sweet. Amazing. All right. The clock is on. What have you been reading, watching or listening to lately? Ooh, I've been listening to podcasts lately. Haven't read a lot. My favorite podcast at the moment. Um, I listen a lot to the Squeeze. My news in the morning. Love it. Who is your most annoying colleague? Oh, thank <laughs> <laughs> I was coughing to get Dean's name out of you. <laughs> Who is your sporting hero? Oh, I'd say my dad. What would be your wrestler entrance song? Oh. I'd say Migos, um, is you ready? What was your favourite movie as a kid? A Lion King. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Sushi. Favourite place you've travelled to? Ooh, Hawaii. Do you have a hidden talent? No. <laughs> Safe. <laughs> Who would play you in the movie of your life? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best. How good are you at keeping secrets? 10. 10. Oh, she's a chamber of secrets. I didn't expect anything less. From oh. <laughs> I want to be your friend. How, how, do, how do we become friends in real life outside of the studio? Play rugby league, Sarah. And then <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get Sarah over to rugby league and then she can do some work with, with you, Emily. Yeah, you got to come over to rugby league, Sarah. All right, say less. Send me a vacancy or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Emily, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks very much for taking the time out to join us. Uh, wish you all the best for any of your upcoming projects that you've got on, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the office. Awesome. Thank you so much, team. That was Emily Latu. She is the NRL Community Projects Manager, and we wish her all the best for her upcoming projects. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete. On Can You Be More Pacific? You can ask that. Back with another week. Back with another question. Our favourite segment, of course. Honestly, it really is. This one's a goodie. Yes, this week this question comes from Taylor in Cronulla, actually. She's a local. So good to hear from Taylor. Uh, the question is, what athlete's career would you love to have? Uh, in the word of Jake. So many, so many athletes. So many, but in the word of Jake Cole. There's no life better than yours. Oh, uh... <laughs> Philosophizer. But it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I've certainly had to think about it, but I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are. 
Yeah, so I, I was when I was looking at the question, I was like, going, oh, who's the, the biggest athletes that I've that I can remember?" And then I was thinking, if you want to take on the athlete as their on court or on field career, you've also got to take the off field stuff with it too. So my first thought was Tiger Woods, and I went, "Yeah, the man's got some issues away from swinging a golf club. He's like the best <laughs> that's ever swung a golf club." But yeah, um, so I steered away from Tiger, and then I just I, I just was thinking before Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr played for the Chicago Bulls, won some prem- uh, some championships with the Chicago Bulls through like a really good era for them. But then he's gone on to become the coach of the Golden State Warriors, and he's coached them to some um, championships as well. And he's been like super successful as both a player and a coach. But he's also a really, really good human being, and we've we've shared some stuff from him earlier in the year um, around some of the atrocities that happened in, in America around gun violence and whatnot. And he's taken a really strong stance on that. And he, he comes from what well, I, I think he's just got like a really good heart and a good person, but he's also a good leader of men. So I like that. And he's had success on the court and he was a really good player as well. Like he was, um, had high shooting percentages, a good shooter, a good point guard. And yeah, obviously won the, won the championships. So I, th- I thought a bit outside the box and he's probably not a typical one, but I like Steve Kerr as my career that I'd like to have. What about That's you, Sarah? A good one. Mine would have to be, I think, Chloe Dalton. So Chloe Dalton, she has had experience in a number of sport codes. So she played WNBL here in Australia for the Sydney Uni Flames. She then went over to Rugby Sevens, played in the Aussie squad for a fair bit, went to the Rio Olympics, won a gold medal, came back and did another code switch to AFL where she played with Carlton, but now she's signed to the GWS Giants. She has a fantastic podcast called The Female Athlete Project. She's just such a well-rounded, intelligent, awesome human and athlete. I'm just like, girl, you got it all going on. I like that. Like, I fully dig that. That's a, a pretty impressive resume and a decent one to yeah, and, and I take on. Yeah, and it's not like she's you know not saying that it's unattainable. Like because I'm like I know her personally as well. It's just cool when you're like, you know, kind of stay in the company of like people like Chloe Dalton. So I'm like, yeah, Chloe, kind of want to be like you when I grow up. It, it, like it makes sense when people are so good at like various sports when they're at the top of one sport. You kind of think they're going to be skillful at a lot of different things, but that's to go from through all those different sports to be a medalist to all the all those. Uh, achievements is pretty amazing. Yeah, like you, you play at the highest level each of them. So yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure she has like a like an Austra- order of Australian medal as well. So she's she's rocking that, and she hasn't even turned thirty. <laughs> I feel like I haven't really achieved much in the years. No, like your Dean Halliday worked for that unreal. You played with the illustrious. You had a long illustrious <laughs> career. <laughs> like, there's comparison is the thief of joy, my yes, brother. Yes, I know that. I understand that. I like that, but yes, it's still like yeah. You can still be envious. Of oh, absolutely. That's what, that's what this question's asking about, right? Yeah. It's asking us to compare ourselves. So thanks, Taylor. <laughs> Kudos to you, sweetie. Chloe Dalton, Steve Kerr. Yeah. You heard it here first. And also a reminder to all of our listeners, if you have a question, please feel free to hit us up. You can find us on Instagram. My handle is at Sarah Nangama. You can find this bloke on at Dean Hallitow. of Can You Be More Pacific on ABC Radio Australia.
That's all we have time for. We're still away for another week, but don't worry. We've got another packed best of show for you next week. In the lead up to New Year's, please make sure that you look after yourselves and we can't wait to join you again next year. And don't forget, you can hear all of our episodes on the Radio Australia website, on the ABC Listen app, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mother. What's all here? Happy New Year. Chee-hoo. Can you be more Pacific? An ABC Sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.